everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 281, and tonight we set off from the Wolf Hill, upon which they have been besieged uh, by the disappearing werewolves, and uh, we are setting off for uh, uh, for the, um, the gates of Moria today. Um, most interesting concerning uh, today's passage is going to be once more... Uh, the next stages of the leadership drama of the Company of the Ring um, begins. Uh, well, it, 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 yeah, the, the next stage begins. Uh, but um, yeah, so we will, uh, we shall, we shall, we, we, we shall see what we see as we, as we move forward here. Um, but uh, just uh, some announcements first. Uh, first, as I was just mentioning to folks before we started the broadcast, um, we had a lovely uh, moot out in Denver this past weekend. Great fun at Mountain Moot. Uh, and our next moot is coming up, the last of our fall season moots. Um, the last moot of this calendar year is going to be the 2nd of December down in New Orleans, a brand new uh, venue for us, a, a, a brand new region of the country. Um, and we're, um, we're getting close to having covered the country pretty thoroughly now, but uh, it'll be really fun to go down to, down to New Orleans. Uh, so I hope you guys can join us for Bayou Moot on the 2nd of December. So um, that, should be, uh, that should be very cool. And the other thing, of course, that I wanted to announce is a big announcement this week, and that is that this is the first week of our fall fundraising campaign. The fall fundraising campaign of Signum University is here. Um, annual tradition now for 10 years. Uh, we had our first fall fundraising campaign back in 2013. I was just uh, fondly reminiscing on those days with uh, some of our folks at Signum uh, a couple days. Uh, no, that was yesterday. Uh, on yesterday. And uh, anyway, so our fall fundraising campaign is the time of year uh, when we do two things. One is to remind folks that we are uh, totally, not totally dependent. We are very largely dependent uh, upon the donations and support that we get from folks. Um, we really could not do what we do without the support of our community. There have been so many things lately that have really just been reminding me uh, of that uh, very strongly. One is, you know, a conversation I had recently, I've, uh, which is similar to a conversation I've had at several different points over the course of the last 12 years, uh, when people point to the low prices that we charge for everything, uh, pretty much, and say, you know, that... Um, that's nice and everything, but it doesn't seem like a great business model, right? Shouldn't you charge more? And I say, look, we have always been trying to support our community as best we can. And our community makes it possible um, by the donations that they make. Um, you know, we're not the kind of nonprofit, you know, we're not the kind of, uh, uh, of, of, you know, organization that subsists solely on donations. We do, you know, get revenue from tuition and, uh, you know, some of the other programs that we have. Um, and that's really great. That provides us a really great foundation. But the donations that everybody gives are really what enable us to keep our prices as low as they are and to make things as accessible and available as they can as 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 they are uh, and as we've been able to make them. Um, so anyway, that is um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that was um, uh, so. 
I would would want to remind you, therefore, um, if you have never uh, donated to support Signum, well, now is an awesome time to do that because it's our fall fundraising campaign. Um, and uh, of course, all donations to Signum are uh, are tax deductible, so that's a nice benefit too. As we get, uh, you know, as we start moving towards the end of the tax year, um, but uh, of course, the other thing that we like to do during our fall fundraising campaign is just to thank and celebrate the many, many folks, the hundreds of folks um, who donate and have donated regularly over the last ten years um, to support Signum and keep it running. Um, it has been just a, it's, it is just marvelous. Um, I was, um, uh, you know, I was telling this, I told the story in the little video I made, uh, that we posted on social media, but, um, it was, <laughs> you guys like stumped the accountant, um, who, uh, was part of the accrediting team, part of the accrediting review team that we were meeting with back in September was an accountant. Um, and he was asking me like, where are, money comes from, like where our, our donations come from. And he was puzzled because he was asking me about like, you know, large donations. Um, and then, I, and, I, and I told him, you know, about the larger donations that we received. And, and, and he was like, but where did the rest of the money come from? Like he didn't know. He couldn't figure it out where the rest of the money comes from. And I'm like, the rest of the money comes from hundreds of people giving what they can, uh, you know, ten dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. Um, like that's where the rest of the money comes from. And like it was, it was clearly just like totally outside his paradigm. Like fundraising at universities, totally normal, right? But the idea of just like crowdfunding like this, uh, the way that Signum has always done, the way that Signum has always uh, not only survived but thrived over the years, um, is. Uh, is not normal. Um, uh, so anyway, that was um, uh, that was really cool. So anyway, as, as I say, I love to take time this time of year to celebrate our um, uh, to celebrate our donors and to thank people uh, for their generosity and the generosity they've been showing year after year uh, in supporting Signum and in pursuit of that, uh, I'm, I would like to do again what we've done in the past, uh, which is to do some, to, 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 to give some stuff away in the spirit of celebration of things. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to do every week uh, from here on through to the end of the fundraising campaign, which is going to be in the beginning of December, by the way. Um, there are two, two traditional events that happen every year during the fall fundraising campaign. Um, both of them are going to happen again this year. One, of course, is my annual Lord of the Rings online marathon. I've been doing that for a long time now. Um, something like 10 years, I think. I think I, I did it the very first time. So um, uh, something like 10 years. And um, uh, the um, so, yeah, this might be my 10th annual Lotro marathon, actually. Yeah. As we're approaching the gates of Moria, I'm reminded one of the first ones, if not the very first one I did, was taking my burglar grifflet all the way through from one end of Moria to the next, like doing all the quests along the way that I could um, in one sitting. That was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. But anyway, yeah, so I'll be playing. Uh, so the, the, the Lord of the Rings online marathon is scheduled for Saturday the 18th. So that's the weekend after next. Uh, so about a week and a half from now, I'll be doing my Lotro marathon starting at noon Eastern time on the uh, Signum Twitch channel. Uh, so uh, you're welcome to join me for that. That's always a fun event. I'll be streaming for about 12 hours. Um, 
and um, uh, you know, so I'll be, uh, I'll be, uh, uh, I'll be moving up through. I should be getting toward. I think I'll be doing. I think I'll be doing Minas Morgul. Yeah, I think I'm. No, I'm not going to get to Umbar this year. Um, my uh, my my. My most advanced character, Wigand, is the one I'll be doing, and I, I'm still I'm still nowhere near. The uh, uh, the Lotro folks show that they are still capable of developing the game at a faster pace than I can play it. <laughs> so that that's been true for years. They've been they've been pulling away and leave me leaving me behind. Um, but anyway, I might get to Minas Morgul. I yeah, there's still a lot of stuff to do. But anyway. Grey Mountains towards Minas Morgul, that's where I'll be. Anyway, so that's happening on the 18th of November. And then on uh, the uh, the 9th of December is the day of our, our other event, which is the Campaign Ending Webathon, um, where we'll, I'll be doing another long webathon broadcast on Saturday, the 9th of December, um, where I'll be giving my State of the University address and also we'll be doing... Uh, we'll be doing a bunch of other things, talking with different uh, uh, um, programs at Signum. This is a, a great place to come to learn more about the really cool stuff that's happening now at Signum and the stuff that's coming uh, down the pipe. So um, we are so that again, that'll be on the ninth. So now between now and the ninth, as I said, every week uh, we're going to do a drawing. Um, and the drawing is just to, to, you know, thank you guys for being involved and for being a part of this. And again, especially for those of you who um, have uh, have donated or are donating to support us. If you want to make a donation, by the way, probably should have mentioned signumuniversity.org slash donate will get you to the donation form. Um, so if you want to make your tax deductible donation, that's the place to do it. Um, and uh, anyhow, so. Um, uh, so. We're yeah. So every week we're gonna do a drawing, and so 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 here's here here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna do a drawing every week. The prize of the drawing are some pretty cool prizes. So the winner of our drawing will get to choose among three things. It will get to choose either a free pass to a regional moot, a free flight in a space module uh, of his choice, and or a uh, uh, or a um. What's the third? Oh yes, uh, an anytime audit uh, uh, gift certificate. So a, a gift certificate uh, to get the the lecture series of any one of our MA courses that are available through for anytime audit. Um, so you can get one of our basically access to the lectures of one of our grad courses. You can participate in a space course, or you can uh, participate in one of our regional moots entirely for free. So that's that's the that's one of those three things is the prize we're going to be giving away every week. Okay, so now here's how the prize is going to work. We have a form, just a really simple form. It's just like your name and email, basically. And the reason we're doing it this way, we're not just drawing like for the people who are attending live, because the majority of people who follow this broadcast do so asynchronously. Um, they can't, you know, I don't, I don't want to, uh, it's not quite fair to only do drawings for people who happen to be able to be free at this time to join us live. Uh, so um, we're going to leave it open throughout the week so that even the people who watch or listen asynchronously can um, uh, can join in, can fill in the form and 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 enter the drawing. Um, so uh, so we're gonna we're gonna leave it open throughout the week, and then I'll do the drawing in the in the middle of class, the end of our um, at, at the end of our book discussion next week. Okay. That's how it's going to work. Um, so let me post the link. Again, very simple form. It's just um, 
Uh, there it is. Ent entry form, basically just your name and email. Um, and then I will do the drawing and we will get in touch to, 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 to get you your prize if you win. Um, so again, that'll be open until next week. And then we'll do another drawing after that. Don't enter a whole billion times because you'll be disqualified if you do that. That's not fair. Um, but anyway, that, oh, but, oh, hang on. But there's more. We're going to do a grand prize drawing, too. And that will be on the like live in the webathon. I will do a grand prize drawing, and there I'm going to draw from everybody who has submitted an entry to the form the whole month, basically during the entire campaign. Uh, I'll do another drawing, grand prize drawing, and guess what the grand prize is? The Exploring the Lord of the Rings grand prize is an opportunity. Oh, so uh, JJ, this is not this is a it's it's functionally identical, JJ, but they're separate. Um, there are different forms for each one of the broadcasts, so you can totally fill this one out too. No problems with that at all. Um, yeah, so you can definitely enter for each each broadcast that you attend. No, no, no problem. Um, anyway, okay. So guess what the grand prize is? Grand prize is the opportunity to cheat death. <laughs> that is, if there is a passage in the Lord of the Rings that you think you're not going to survive to discuss together, you can choose it, right? You can name it. Name the passage. It has to be like a slide, you know, like a, a normal, so you can't choose like a whole chapter. Obviously, it has to be like a passage, like, you know, a few paragraphs. Um, and, uh, and, and we'll jump ahead and discuss it. We'll jump ahead and discuss it. I'll, I'll we'll, 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 I'll do a special session where we discuss the passage that you want to, that you can't wait, you know, the 10 or 15 years or 20 years for or whatever. So um, that, right, exactly. Either cheat death or just be really impatient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly, uh, uh, that's exactly it. So, so that's, is going back an option? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If there's something you want to cover from, uh, from, from before, totally. Totally. Absolutely. Um, okay. So that is, that is, that's a grand prize. That's a grand prize. So everybody who fills in the form will get not only in the weekly drawing, but also for the grand prize drawing, which I'll do during our webathon on the 9th of December. All right. So that uh, is, um, that is what is going to happen. So the the uh, the form is open now. You can fill it out now. And as I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna close it for the first week, and then we'll do a live drawing next week, um, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll come back and uh, and do it again the week after that. All right. Okay. Um. All right. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay. Um. Uh. Excellent. Okay. Um, sorry, I will also post the form here on um, the chats of all of the... Oh, and I meant to mention the chat, the link will also be posted in the YouTube description um, of the video when this class is, is done so that people can always uh, go to find it there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you gift the grand prize to, <laughs> to someone older <laughs> if you think you might make it? <laughs> Right. Sure. Yeah. You can totally, you can totally gift it. No problem. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, uh, let's get back to the text. All right. We've got some uh, Boromir snark to look at here tonight. 
We must, re we must reach the doors before sunset, said Gandalf, or I fear we shall not reach them at all. It is not far, but our path may be winding, for here Aragorn cannot guide us. He has seldom walked in this country, and only once have I been under the west wall of Moria, and that was long ago. There it lies, he said, pointing away southeastwards to where the mountain sides fell sheer into the shadows at their feet. In the distance could be dimly seen a line of bare cliffs, and in their midst, taller than the rest, one great grey wall. When we left the pass, I led you southwards, and not back to our starting point, as some of you may have noticed. It is well that I did so, for now we have several miles less to cross, and haste is needed. Let us go. I do not know which to hope, said Boromir grimly. That Gandalf will find what he seeks, or that coming to the cliff we shall find the gates lost forever. All choices seem ill, and to be caught between wolves and the wall the likeliest chance. Lead on. Okay. All right. As tempting as it is to jump straight to Boromir's kind of salty comment here at the end, um, and don't worry, we'll get to it. I because I don't want to focus so much on that, we miss the rest of it. Let's do the rest first. So, um, okay. The first thing that really strikes me about this is you can see Gandalf's foresight. Remember that he had said before that he has had this sort of premonition. Right, that they were going to have to go through Moria anyway. He has been thinking that the the extent to which he's been thinking about this and actively planning on this becomes really clear here, right? Um, he already um, the question uh, uh, stunned duck was asking, how does Gandalf know that Aragorn can't handle it? I think it's because they've talked about it, like they've talked at length about this. Um, he doesn't need to consult Aragorn. Like, hey, Aragorn, you know, but they've already talked about it, right? They've, um, Gandalf has thought it through. He's talked it through with Aragorn. He is just now, now that it is clear, right? Now that they have decided, now that they've been compelled, uh, basically, by the wolves, by the attack of the wolves, which is not over, um, which is also presumably why they, he feels they must reach the doors before sunset. Um, that clearly now um, they are uh, they have to head as straight as they can uh, for the doors so he knows Aragorn can't guide us but but I agree with you Stunduck there is something um, like odd at least about the sort of tone right that he uses here um, that is he just the confidence with which he says uh, speaks of Aragorn in the third person, right, to the rest of them. Um, it's not only the, the simple statement, for here Aragorn cannot guide us, but then going on to talk about him more. He has seldom walked in this country, right? Um, he's just sort of charging, charging forward, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, he has seldom walked in this country, and only once have I been under the West Wall of Moria, and that was long ago. So, notice again, although, as I say, he's kind of charging ahead confidently, he's also not, I mean, this is a confession, right? Um, Aragorn doesn't know where we're going, and by the way, I, I really don't either. 
<laughs> right. So like on the one hand, he's speaking very confidently, but on the other hand, he is admitting his um, his lack of familiarity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Matt, I think that's a good way to think about it. Um, it's it's not exactly a slight. It's more to give a sense of how rare a place to visit it is. Not even Aragorn has been here. Um, yeah, neither he nor Aragorn have been here. Nobody really comes here much. I agree. Like, why would you? The only reason to approach this place is to get into Moria. And um, nobody likes to do that, right? Nobody does that at all. Uh-oh. Oh, man. <laughs> Hang on a second. Um, okay. Sorry. Um, yeah. All right. So, um, all right. Everett was asking, why do I think Gandalf has so much foresight here? Uh, he didn't have any when he went to Isengard. Yeah. Um, Well, I don't want to get drawn into thinking too much here about Gandalf's decision to go to Isengard. But um, this is sort of what's happening here is I agree with what uh, S.H. Higgins was saying, that it was the path he wanted to take since they left. He and Elrond had been doing a lot of planning and thinking about the path that they would end up taking. And remember, the mountains... The fact of the mountains means there's only a finite number of options, of routes. Um, you know, there are lots of different, uh, you know, combinations and things you can do or whatever uh, in order to make your... Um, uh, in order to... Uh, sorry. Just me uh, having to reboot my windows over there. Um, uh, but anyway, it's, it's, um, you can only cross the mountains in so many places and that has to happen. So that was obviously the route from Rivendell and which crossing of the mountains. We talked about that before when they were scouting and all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, he's thought about it quite a lot, right? Um, why did he have such clear foresight about this? We don't know. We don't know. Um, but yeah, Josh the Left, you're right. It can't, you can't really count on it, right? Like that, that he had some presentiment that his heart told him they would be going. That doesn't always happen, right? Um, it can't really be, um, uh, it can't really be predicted. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what was I going to say next? Oh, anyway, I, I was just, again, I'm thinking about Gandalf is not, he's speaking confidently because he needs to get them moving, right? But he's also warning them. I, we have seen Gandalf be in a mode where he's exuding something almost like false cheer, right? Remember when he seems to be almost sugarcoating things for the hobbits? Um which has sometimes caused the hobbits to, like, grumble about, you know, especially Sam, um, about how things are not as cheerful as uh, Gandalf seems to imply. 
Um, but he's not he's not doing that here. Yes, we've seen lots of attempts to keep everyone's spirits up. Um, that doesn't seem to be his primary focus here. Um, not in the first paragraph, at least, right? We must reach the doors before sunset. That's not cheerful, right? That's a deadline, right? Which is, you know, important to convey and stuff. But, um, you know, he, uh, we are, we are in danger. Um, and then he goes on to the good news, bad news, right? It's not far. That's the good news. But our path may be winding. And neither Aragorn nor I knows where we're going. So there's that, right? That's the bad news. Uh, the bad news is we we might get lost, and I don't know for sure if we're going to make it. Um, but uh, apart from that, you know, I think we're, um, I think we're, I think we're fine, right? Yeah, Amareya, that's interesting. Good spirits is not a weapon against wolves like it is against ringwraiths. Even assuming the same is true of whatever spirit form wolves these seem to be, but, um, um, but yeah, yeah, it is. As Bjorning says, mortal and immediate danger that they are facing. There are creatures hunting them that are going to try to kill them, right? Um, and they must escape. Um, the admission, I think, is an important one, though. The admission that they don't know exactly where they're going. Now, he does, of course, go on to point out his own foresight, right, in leading them southwards. Um it is well that I did so. I, I sorry, I, I missed who said it earlier on, but I saw somebody pointing out how uh, how very characteristically Gandalfian that line is. Right. Um, it is well that I did so is kind of a thing that Gandalf might say quite a lot. Um, I mean, it's not that he does, but like he kind of does, not necessarily in those words. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah. So he. He does kind of pat himself on the back uh, for that. Now we have several miles less to cross, and haste is needed. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the, as some of you may have noticed, also is a little... Uh, I mean, some of you might not have noticed that we didn't come back the same way that we, that we went up. Um, but again, notice what he's doing there is... Also, there's a there's a kind of um, uh, there's a kind of transparency to that in a way, right? That um, um, he uh, that he when they descended Karathras, even before they had their little council, he was already leading them towards Moria. That's how confident he was that that was the way that they would have to go. Um, yeah, so um, anyhow, um, let's see. Other things, sorry, I'm losing my screens here. Okay. Um, yeah, he did. Aster Gypsy, yes, he does kind of throw a brag out from time to time. Um, yes, yes. Uh, humility is a virtue in Tolkien's world. But it does not always manifest itself in the ways that you might expect or the ways in which 
we often think about the virtue of humility uh, in the modern world. And this, um, in part, I believe, is in Tolkien a reflection of his reading, basically. Um, humility, like um, in most of um, the literature that Tolkien read and loved, humility is not a virtue at all, right? Um, Beowulf has many virtues. Humility, not one of them, right? In fact, a, a very large chunk of the entire poem is taken up with Beowulf boasting about uh, uh, what... Between Beowulf boasting about the things that he has done in the past and Beowulf boasting about the things that he's planning to do um, in the future. Um, yes, Bjarnason, honor, you are right. Humility is a post-Christian cultural value. Absolutely. Um, um, and uh, no, exactly, Amareya. Uh, to boast and then not fulfill the boast is wrong, right? Remember Baldur um, of Rohan, right? Who boasted while drunk that he would walk the paths of the dead and then died rather than not fulfill that boast, right? Um, that's, that's the kind of world we're talking about, right? Um, boasting is not evil. Failing to follow through if you do boast, that's where the problem is there. Um, but... Um, uh, but yes, Bjorning, I agree. It is not only like the sort of Germanic tradition, uh, the old English tradition, and and uh, and and you know the 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 old German traditions, and the you know the Norse traditions and things. It's not only there that you find this kind of like total lack of humility. I absolutely agree. It's not in uh, uh, humility in pretty short supply among say. Uh, the Greek captains besieging Troy as well, right? Uh, you're not going to get um, you're not going to get Achilles or Odysseus or Agamemnon to you know talk down their accomplishments very readily either, right? Um, and so, in large part, we can see this kind of world reflected in Tolkien's world frequently, um, and I do believe that there are ways in which in Gandalf we can see that kind of um, that kind of sentiment reflected. But I think there's more. Um, I think there's more to it. Um, because, of course, you know, as Bjarne Sonner was saying, the uh, humility is a is a is a is a is a Christian virtue. It's a, it's a post-Christian culture virtue. Um, yes. So how do those two things work together? You know, when you take Christian humility and you bring it together with that heroic tradition, what does the tradition that emerges thereafter look like? Um, and the answer to that is not necessarily a lot of people going around and saying that they're not very good at things, right? Um, and this is something um, I, I think of... Um, um, I think of... C.S. Lewis talked about this quite a bit. Footnote. Be careful, and I'm, I'm not now attempting to do the thing, which it's so easy to do, and I've seen people do this, get, get caught in this trap many times. Um, that is, you're trying to make a point about Tolkien, and you quote C.S. Lewis to prove your point, right? Which 
that that does you can't do that right like they didn't share a brain like yes they knew each other but they were very different people who had many very different views so you can't just quote c.s lewis to prove a point about tolkien even though it's super tempting to do that because c.s lewis talked about things openly so many things openly that tolkien never did and you wish he did um so that the temptation there is very uh uh, is very tempting. But I'm not doing that. So follow carefully what I'm doing. First, I'm saying C.S. Lewis talked about this. This was a thing that he emphasized about sort of the shift from the ancient and medieval world to the modern day. But one of the things that Lewis emphasized about it, uh, about humility, that is, is that in Lewis's opinion, many people in the modern day uh, have a strange idea about humility. Um, this is, I believe, in Mere Christianity where he talks about this. That is, that many people seem to believe that humility consists in, you know, uh, somebody strong pretending that they're weak or somebody beautiful, you know, convincing themselves that they're ugly or uh, like, like the denial of fact, right? Um, like talented people denying that they're talented or, or something like that. Um, and Lewis's point was that that's, that's not what humility really is. I bring that up. Now, here's the thing. I'm not just saying that to prove a point about Tolkien, right? Um, that thing that we can see Lewis explicitly pointing to, I believe that we can see a very similar pattern um, in Tolkien's work as well. It is clear that humility is an important virtue in Middle-earth. And we can see that most of the best characters, like Sam, for instance, um, and Bill the Pony, have humility, right? Um, but that doesn't mean... But it, it is also equally clear that in Tolkien's sort of uh, moral economy in The Lord of the Rings, humility does not mean never boasting, never... Um, praising yourself, never acknowledging your own talents and abilities, right? Um, uh, that's not what humility is. Um, so anyway, I, just, I, I think that that's, uh, that's definitely a pattern we can see. So Gandalf, this is another example where we see Gandalf, he often does this. He's one of, one of the most frequent boasters um, who loves to talk about the brilliant things that he said or, you know, things that he correctly anticipated uh, or whatever, right? Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a thing that he does. Does that mean that he is conceited? Does that mean that he is, uh, that, he is that he is proud, that he is stuck up? No, no, I don't believe that it does, actually. Um, uh, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Good. Wobe is pointing out a good example. My cuts, short or long, do not go wrong, says Aragorn. Yes. Does that mean that Aragorn is a conceited jerk? No, it does not mean that Aragorn is a conceited jerk. But um, uh, Aragorn expresses his confidence in his own skill, right? In that scene, Wobe, of course, he's trying to reassure the hobbits and encourage them to trust in his skill as well, right? Um, even though it's not only praise for himself there, Wobe, right? But it's also, uh, by implication, a slight on the hobbits, 
right? I mean, the grumbling about the, you know, not another shortcut, I hope, right? Our last shortcut ended in disaster. You know, he's basically like, no, 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 you've got a competent person in charge now, <laughs> right? Like, it's, you know, you may have had that problem before. Uh, sorry, Mary, but like, whatever. Um, but um, but we have fixed that little problem right now. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Ed Bjorning, I think you're absolutely right. I think that we can see uh, some of that... Um, some of that spirit, uh, that same kind of spirit, as you said, just in the last scene that we um, that we were just looking at. I mean, when the first thing that Gandalf's, you know, uh, what Gandalf says, right, when he is looming over them like a thundercloud, is Gandalf is here, right? Um, by implication, you should be terrified because I, Gandalf, am here. Um, and yes, that's that's an attitude which is not humble in the way that we modern people are used to thinking and talking about humility, right? We just, um, many of us have been, you know, raised not to talk about ourselves that way, right? It feels different. It feels strange. And I do think that one of the things that we can see is Tolkien basically trying to marry the two things. Um, Beowulf, Achilles, you know, Aeneas, uh, you know, uh, uh, all of these ancient heroes in the heroic traditions of which Tolkien was so fond. It's not just that they were conceited jerks, right? There's virtue here. It's a different kind of virtue. It's virtue in a different premise, sort of within a different moral system um, than the post-Christian, you know, the Christian and even post-Christian moral systems. Um, but uh, but there's something there, too. Again, it's this is not just like, uh, like they're not being amoral when they talk like this, right? So I think what we see in Gandalf's character and in others in these kinds of moments is Tolkien trying to capture something. Tolkien trying to take the virtues of that older system. Um, the, the things which really are good about this whole heroic outlook, right, from the literature that he knew. But he is marrying it to a Christian sensibility. Um, humility matters, and it even matters to people like Gandalf and Aragorn and other people that we see talking like that um yeah yeah um right jackie says uh, leaders are uh, best be confident and self-aware unless you want movie aragorn well yes exactly movie aragorn it's i think a great example of a kind of post-christian version of that right um uh, i say post-christian because i don't think they made Aragorn like wishy-washy about being king because they were worried that he would seem too proud and wanted to make him more humble. That I was not the point, right? And yet they wanted, as everybody knows, right, that they wanted movie Aragorn to be more, to use one of my least favorite words, relatable. Um, I just dislike the construction of that word. Um, it's imprecise. For something to be relatable means that you can relate it, like it's able to be related, not 
able to be related to. You need a different word for that. Relatable is a isn't not is, it's an imprecise word. Really, I really it's a pet peeve of mine. Anyway, um, uh, relate toable. Bryn, I'm down with that. That's a, that's an impre- it's an awkward word, but it's an improvement uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but anyway, okay, okay. So um, the idea. So so yes, but but notice like so what? Why would that make Aragorn more relatable, right? Um, if he doesn't want to be king, um, why is it, why, why should that be? Well, again, because in the modern culture, even in the post-Christian portions of our modern culture, people don't connect with a Beowulf who stands up and is like, yep, I'm all that, right? I'm all that and a good deal more than you've heard, right? Um, Modern audiences don't click with people who talk like that generally, right? I think they click more than they admit, but anyway, um, they generally don't. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, so, so yes, you can see, um, and this of course is one of the main reasons why, although I understood what they were doing and, you know, what they do with Aragorn's character works very well in the films. And I'm not going to be talking about that at length just now, but I never liked it. And the reason I never liked it is not that it's different from the books, but that it like gives up on a thing that Tolkien was doing that I think is kind of awesome actually. Um, and that is again, taking the Christian virtue of humility and this heroic ethic of, you know, this sort of the, the boastful honesty, um, the boastful honesty, which is, you know, which there's nothing wrong with as long as you can back it up. Right. Um, the way that Tolkien brings those two things together is really interesting. This is, I think it's a fascinating study. If you look at it all the way through, look at examples of humility, find out how humility is depicted and how it interacts with that kind of self-confidence, um, that kind of, frankly, um, truthfulness. Yeah. Dorward, you're right. Sport is a place where posturing is still admired. Um, and it's, it seems to me not a coincidence that it's one of the places where something like the heroic ethic still lives in our culture, right? Um, the way that uh, athletes will posture and trash talk and, um, you know, declare themselves to be the greatest, whether you're Muhammad Ali or, or, or you know, one of uh, the hundreds and hundreds of modern athletes who postures in that way. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, professional wrestling, Nancy. Yes. There's a whole, um, there's a whole genre, right? The professional wrestling is actually really interesting. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's sort of a fascinating narrative, um, uh, uh, work really. We don't have time to talk about it right now, but yeah, you can, um, you can see, yeah. Oh no, I'm not talking about it as sport. I'm talking. I'm talking about it in addition to sports. Um, but it's a, but it's a fun overlap. Like it's 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 supposed to. It's sports narrative, right? It's contrived sports narrative. Really cool. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. No, like the whole uh, 
that the structure and texture of professional wrestling narratives, I haven't, haven't followed them in a long time, but uh, I remember being exposed to them uh, by one of my students a while back and uh, being really interested in that. Anyhow, um, uh, point is, these ways in which we can, those places where it does survive in our society, I agree, hip-hop as well. Um, uh, the hip-hop culture, um, athletic culture, places like professional wrestling, right, which is a, uh, which is a form of creative entertainment uh, that is attractive to very, to very many Um the fact that 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 those strands live, right? Again, it's not, it's not normal every day in our society. You'd be generally deviant, I think, in most of our society, if you acted like that. It's not that there aren't people who are deviant in that way. There are certainly arrogant jerks, um, lots of arrogant jerks. And yes, I've known a bunch of them in, acad in academics. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, uh, but sure. Sure. But, but again, that's, but you see, like, people don't like them, right? Like many will respect them, but, um, but there's, there's a sense, everybody has a sense. That's not the right way to be. Anyway, point is we can see all these things coming together and it's a really fun study. Uh, this is something that I, that I, that I recommend. I think that a, um, you know, a, a detailed study on humility in the Lord of the Rings would be a really, it's a really good topic. Really, frankly, good book topic. Not even a moot topic, but um, yeah. Yep. Two Juice Man, I can't wait. Boethian implications of modern professional wrestling as seen through the lens of Lord of the Rings. Excellent. Um, yeah, so uh, Two Juice Man text moot uh, early April. I think it's the first weekend of April. April 6th. I think put it on the calendar. I can't wait. I'm ready. Um, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. Um, uh, all right. Okay. Um, we're getting a little, uh, sidebar here, but, um, um, okay. Yeah, I know that was the boast Bjorn. He's, he's got to, he's got to follow through now. Right. That's it. I can't see he's got to follow through or die in the attempt. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm ready. I'm ready. See, and the and the challenging thing, um, the the challenging thing is that I know I know where I know where Two Juice Man lives. I know which one is his moot. I've 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 met him a couple times. So you know, there we go. There we go. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> so let's get to Boromir. All right. First of all, note that Boromir is speaking grimly, right? Grimly. Grimness is... There's an interesting trend that has been noticed before, right? Um, who is it who tends to be grim most often? Um, what is your likely destiny? Um, what what career path are you most likely to take in Tolkien's writings if you go around saying grim things all the time? Exactly. King. <laughs> King. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. From Bard the Bowman through Aragorn, right? It's, um, it's, uh, 
it's it's a it's a, it's a pretty strong correlation between grimness and kingliness. Um, but um, uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, so Boromir speaking grimly. That's not necessarily a bad look. Aragorn's grim all the time, right? I do not know which to hope. That Gandalf will find what he seeks, or that coming to the cliff, we shall find the gates lost forever. All choices seem ill, and to be caught between wolves and the wall the likeliest chance. Lead on. Okay. So what exactly is going on here? Um... Yeah, now, um, I, interesting, okay, so Arnold, all right, so Wobe was saying that Boromir's line here reminds me a bit of Sam's lines, and then Arnold was responding, saying he, he's kind of sounding like the voice of the silent majority here. Um, yeah. Yeah, both, I think. Both. Um, uh, yeah. Um, oh, that's an interesting question, Sharon. What is the opposite of grim as used in this way? Not just cheerful, but maybe frivolous? Yeah. Um, right, I see what you mean. It doesn't just mean being a downer, right? He's not just being a downer. Uh, that's not what speaking grimly is like. I agree there's a seriousness um, to that, right? Um, it seems like that is grimly, the adverb, seems to bespeak a kind of solemnity here. Um I mean, it's also clearly about, yeah, I think lighthearted might be a good way to, um, um, to a, a good opposite, that kind of, I think, Sharon, frivolity, like frivolously sounds a little bit too much. Like, I don't think that Grimm is quite, but, but, but I agree with incorporating not just cheerfulness. So it's not just like being bright or being gloomy, right? Um, there is that element of frivolity that it's the opposite to as well. I, I, I agree. I think that lightheartedness is, uh, uh, seems to me a good way of expressing the, the, the sort of the core of the, of, of what, what would be the opposite, uh, there. Um, yes, Maureen. Uh, I, I agree. I think that the opposite of speaking grimly is tra-la-la-lali. Yes, 100%. 100%. Yep, yep. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, carefree. Carefree also kind of uh, gets at, again, what, what is the opposite of grim? Sharon, that was a great idea. Trying to, trying to kind of peg the, the, the significance of the adverb there by thinking of its opposite. That, that's a really good approach to that, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, Vardendil, of course, Tralalali is a serious spiritual weapon. A hundred percent. That doesn't I mean the opposite of Grim isn't bad. That's one of the things I think is important to try to capture here, right? Lighthearted is good. Um, delightedly, you know, might be an opposite uh, of grimly, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, anyway. Let's, so we got to look carefully at what Boromir says here. He's speaking grimly. That's good. That's kingly. And it's appropriate under the circumstances, right? I mean, I think, Wobe, you were exactly correct that um, this sounds very much like what Sam says. The things that Sam has been saying, right? When Sam has, uh, even in the way in which Boromir is kind of getting in the last word, like Sam almost always gets in the last word. Right. Uh, making this sort of sardonic, um, uh, sardonic comment. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, one major difference here, um, one major difference between Bormir and Sam, I mean, specifically. Sam almost always makes them as side comments to Frodo. Occasionally, Sam seems to have spoken up to everyone. But I think that most of Sam's comments are private comments. Um, sometimes explicitly muttered, which Frodo apparently overhears. Um, but... Um, uh, but yes, I, well, I don't know whether he's addressing the entire company, but he's addressing Gandalf. No, and then, but he's speaking of Gandalf in the third person too. I think he's clearly, yes, ex uh, addressing everybody. And I agree, Kurtzimus, Boromir doesn't make quiet statements, right? Um, muttering under his breath isn't like him. It's not that he never does it, as we'll see soon, but, um, um, but it's not... It's not his normal route, whereas it is Sam's normal route, right? Sometimes addressing Frodo personally, sometimes, or like he was with Pippin also, um, sometimes just muttering to himself or talking to Bill or something like that. Um, but, um, okay. Now. Again, I, I think we can prove he's talking to everybody. The last, the last words lead on are clearly directed to Gandalf, right? But he also speaks of Gandalf in the third person to everybody else. I do not know which to hope that Gandalf will find what he seeks. Or that coming to the cliff, we, all of us, shall find the gates lost forever. Um, I think it's pretty clear that... Um, uh, that Boromir is in fact addressing everybody. Um, yeah, I agree. Bjorn Asanar, Boromir probably is largely unused to being in a situation where he needs to keep his thoughts to himself. Yes, yes. He's now, I mean, he's not the lord of the city, 
right? So I don't doubt that there are times where he has to maybe stand on his tongue where his father is concerned, right? Um, you know, if he has an opinion, I don't know how many times he has an opinion that's contrary to his father's. Um, but if he ever did, he would probably not say it publicly, right, and undermine his father. We have seen Boromir have a, a pretty good respect for the chain of command, right? And presumably that's true at home, too. But he's also, um, you know, he's uh, he's what the Gondorian warrior version of interrupting uh, chicken. Right. I mean, he's 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 pops in and says his piece and he's been doing it since the Council of Elrond. Right. Um, he is certainly not shy about doing that. And I agree. He talks like somebody who is used to giving commands, who is used to being in charge, um, who is used to knowing even with his father, his opinion would presumably matter and count right um so yes he is used to having his opinion count um yeah yeah um i agree both young and usually in charge absolutely absolutely and yes jj you're right that he's not traveling with his dad for weeks upon weeks constantly very true very true okay anyway We've seen Boromir's care here. So let's look at what he's doing. Um, I already have said that I thought Boromir was being snarky, but is he? Let's, we, there have been a number of times before when a parent snark has on closer examination come to look, to me at least, less snarky than it seemed at first. But let's, so let's see. I do not know which to hope, that Gandalf will find what he seeks or that coming to the cliff we shall find the gates lost forever. All choices seem ill, and to be caught between wolves and the wall, the likeliest chance. Okay, um, so stop there. Just stop there. If there is snark, it's in the, it's in lead on at the end, right? Um, but let's just so let's let's divide his speech to two very uneven halves. Right. Let's have the two last two words be on one side of the divide and the rest of it be on the other for now. Right. Um, okay. Boromir. All choices seem ill. And to be caught between wolves and the wall, the likeliest chance. What he is not doing here is criticizing Gandalf's choices. What he's not doing is second-guessing the leader. Right? All choices seem ill. That is to say, it doesn't matter what we do. Right? We're hosed either <laughs> Whatever happens, we're hosed. Right? All choices seem ill. And to be caught between wolves and the wall, the likeliest chance. Um, all choices seem ill. That's just grim. I do not know which to hope. That Gandalf will find what he seeks, or that coming to the cliff we shall find the gates lost forever. Um, so I'm... I'm, um, 
the at least so I think that there is still potential I think there is potential criticism of Gandalf's leadership here. One can't get away from the fact that he so he was arguing, as we remember, strongly against going to Moria, right? I will not go to Moria, not unless the vote of the whole company is against me. And remember that in that passage, we were seeing how he seemed to be uh, beginning for the first time to sound like he was maneuvering for leadership himself. Um, you know, the the vote that he is the only one to mention. Nobody else suggested that this was going to be a dem democratic process, right? Um, the vote that he mentioned, uh, it wasn't exactly a vote of no confidence in Gandalf, but, you know, it was kind of moving in that direction as well, right? And look what he says here. You're right, Bjorning, that he does concede that they'd be better off in Moria because the wolf that one hears is worse than the orc that one fears, right? Before Aragorn says his grim piece of uh, counter-verse, right? Um, so, but again, look at this, look at the force of, I don't know which to hope, that Gandalf will find what he seeks or that coming to the cliff we shall find the gates lost forever. If they go get to the cliffs and find the gates lost forever, they're trapped. They're trapped and caught between wolves and the wall. Now, it is true, as um, uh, oh, somebody was just pointing out before, sorry, I missed it. Um, it is better to fight wolves with your back against a cliff than you know, on a hilltop where they're attacking you from all sides. I mean, that's, there is some advantage to that. But at the same time, there's no way to escape, right? If there are enough wolves, it might enable you to fight for longer and kill more of them before you're killed, but that's not a winning proposition, right? Um, for them to be trapped against a blank wall by the you know, hordes of the enemies. You are crayon. Thank you. Um, uh, with, um, yeah, for, for, the, for them to be trapped against the wall with the hordes of wolves, you know, werewolves closing in on them, um, that's death. Um, pretty much death. There are two implications against Gandalf and Aragorn's leadership that I can see here. One is that he's saying that certain death trap that we would be in if we find the gates lost forever, trapped against a cliff wall, um, uh, you know, while the wolves surround us. I'm not sure if that's worse than Gandalf's plan. Right? I mean, yeah, just not sure which is worse. Um, if Gandalf plan, if Gandalf's plan works or if we're hopelessly trapped to our death, like it's possible that Gandalf's plan is actually worse than that. 
Right. I mean, I, I can't, um, uh, um, I can't, uh, I can't think that there is not criticism there. Right. But then also notice there's another one too. All choices seem ill and to be caught between wolves and the wall, the likeliest chance. Yeah. I don't know which is worse. Certain death trapped in a Canyon, uh, while the enemy surrounds you or Gandalf's plan. But the good news is that I think Gandalf's plan is less likely to succeed than, you know, we are to be trapped and surrounded and certainly killed. Right. I mean, that's, um, that's the implication there, right? That Gandalf's plan is as bad as certain death. But the good news is certain death is more likely. <laughs> right. I mean, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, grim. Yeah, it is grim. I don't think he's making jokes. Like, I don't think he's, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I don't mean that he's being, there isn't that sort of, um, jesting, um, tone of, of snarkiness, right? It's too grim, uh, for, 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 for true snark. Um, yeah. Um, I don't even think there's actually explicitly sarcasm here. Um, just grim statement. All choices seem ill and to be caught between wolves and wall, the likeliest chance. There is some irony in the implications that he's making. Um, yeah. A, a, a tone of something like bitter reproach, Quran 121? Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, a kind of grim irony. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I am... Um, Right. Again, he's not making jokes. <clears throat> In my emphasizing of it, I was making it sound more, more like darkly comical than it than I than I think it actually is. Um, though that those those do seem to be still the two criticism that he's sort of offering here. And this is why the the two implications, right? Gandalf's plan is worse than death. But don't worry, death is more likely um, to succeed. You know, death is more likely to happen than Gandalf's plan working out. Um, where I lose it is the tone that that seems to lend to lead on. Right. Lead on. Right. Um, uh, that sounds sarcastic that sounds snarky in that context um almost like saying um you know you've been doing such a great job of leading us keep up the great work right um i don't think i agree that i don't think that that's the inevitable tone that's the one i heard most of my life 
right? And it's hard for me to separate it. Um, and I do think that the criticism of Gandalf's leadership that is implicit in the earlier part of his statement does seem to kind of undermine it. But I agree that I think it does sound... Um, it is possible to hear that in a different tone. Grim resolution, right? Lead on. Um, I acknowledge this is a very bad plan. Like, I, you know, this is a very bad plan, and I'm pretty sure it's not going to work. And I think the likeliest thing that's going to happen is that we're going to end up, you know, fighting to the last man until we all get devoured by wolves with our backs to a blank cliff. But lead on. Um, he did, in fact, I mean, he did, in fact, agree that this was the only option. Once they heard the wolves, he knew that the only chance that going through Moria was, in fact, a better option. Um, he did acknowledge that. <laughs> He's between a rock and a fuzzy place with very sharp teeth. Yeah, something like it. Something like that. Um, yeah. But again, he did, he did concede that exactly what he did concede was that the road through Moria was, in fact, a better option than being surrounded and et by wolves, right? Um, given that, that is, I think, the strongest argument against eye-rolling snark in those last two lines. Um, yeah, yeah, Everett, I, I saw someone else, I think, was referring to that comment as well, thinking of Peter Jackson's Gimli line, certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? Yes, except Peter Jackson's Gimli is throughout. Uh, well, he's a clown. This is the thing that's hardest to take about Peter Jackson's Gimli. And I say that with respect. I mean, John Reese davies is marvelous, partially because John Reese davies is a brilliant clown. Um, that's a an, an acting talent, a comedic acting talent not everyone has. John Reese davies does have it. Um, and it's used to excellent effect in the film. Um, but Gimli is clowning all the time, um, inviting you to laugh at him by what he says, right? Um, uh, yeah, and I, I, I know the word clown seems harsh. Um, I, I don't know. I mean it in a sort of technical sense. I'm thinking of the Shakespearean stage and the role of the clown, uh, the clowns in, uh, in Shakespeare. I'm not thinking of circus clowns. I'm thinking of Shakespearean clowns. But anyway, um, uh, yes, clown did used to be a dignified profession. Yes, indeed. Um, but um, uh, anyway, that's the chief difference there, Everett, that I would say. It is similar. Right. But that's why I can't I can't hear it in the same tone, um, because um, Boromir is not clowning uh, when he when he says this. Um, uh, but um, anyway. Um, OK, so let's go on. Let's let's keep constructing this like uh, 
the serious tone. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm, just, I'm trying to evaluate it to feel, to see if I really feel that it works, you know, what fits best as far as our understanding of that last, is it, I get sarcasm and snark or grim resolution. Again, the argument for grim resolution is that he himself did admit that Moria was preferable to being trapped by wolves, being surrounded by wolves in the wilderness. Um, in that case, if that's true, then you know. That changes the first line. I do not know which to hope. In saying I don't know which to hope that Gandalf finds what he seeks or that coming to the cliff we shall find the gates lost forever, he knew exactly which one of those courses to recommend before. He immediately supported Gandalf's Moria plan. He shifted from by far most outspoken, adamant opponent of going through Moria to agreement in a heartbeat. He was very decisive on that point when the new element was added to the calculation, right? That they were being hunted by wolves. Um, uh, so he's on record already as stating clearly that Moria is preferable. And so therefore that he should know which to hope. He should absolutely hope based on what he said before that Gandalf will find that he seeks. Exactly because the road through Moria, although terribly dangerous, is not, in fact, certain death. Right. Um, yes, Wobe, that's exactly it. The same tone of voice in which he delivers the line, how far is Moria, would be the same tone in which he is saying, lead on here. Yeah. Aspen, that's exactly what I'm thinking towards. Um, is this getting close to a humble concession? Yes. Yes. It That's totally changing the context of that early line. If he is resolute in saying lead on, if he's not changed his mind... If he's still as, as firmly and swiftly as he agreed that going to Moria is better, preferable to, um, uh, to meeting the wolves. If he's still in that same frame of mind and hasn't changed his mind, then you see the implication of the beginning. I know not which I do not know which to hope. That's a confession then. The fact that he that a part of him would rather face certain death than the uncertain but fearful and unknown and terrifying Moria is a confession of fear on his part. If that's the case, if he's still in the same mindset that he was before and we don't see any, I don't see any reason to think that he's not. Um, I doubt fighting the wolves made him feel differently about, you know, 
which is the wiser course between trying to go through Moria and trying to fight off the wolves. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. I think I agree. This is so, so he's admitting, he's admitting that he's afraid that part of him almost hopes that Gandalf won't find what he seeks. All choices seem ill. Um, they are, their only two paths forward are either certain death or a dark, an unknown, uncertain darkness where death is still very probable and who knows what worse could come. Um, remember he compared it to knocking at the gates of the dark tower. Um, and that seems significant. What would happen to you if you knocked at the gates of the dark tower? Death, maybe. But death in that case would be the good outcome of knocking on the gates of the dark tower, right? Um, so, yeah, I do think that there is a, um, yeah, a something worse that potentially looms. Right. And the only argument in favor of it is that at least it isn't certain death. All choices seem ill. And to be caught between wolves and wall, the likeliest chance. So doesn't that sound like he's sort of preparing himself for that? Preparing himself for death? Boromir knows. Surely if they are caught between wolves and the wall, Boromir is going to be, you know, one of those who is going to be standing between the others, like the halflings, and death. Um, he's He will be one of the first to die because he will put himself between danger and his companions, that we know that's what he will do. We He was on the front lines against the wolves the night before. We will see him act in exactly that way with Merry and Pippin later on. Um, that's who he is, right? Um, so when he talks, yeah, he wears the shield. Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, He first, in the non-snarky reading, he first admits to being afraid that he would almost rather face death than the uncertainty of Moria, the darkness and uncertainty of Moria. And then he, by saying to be caught between wolves and the wall, the likeliest chance seems to be preparing himself and others for that. This is not um, cheerfulness, lightheartedness, all of those things we were talking about as the opposite of grimly. Um, those things are all counter-indicated here, right? They're counter-indicated in this particular situation. 
Um, Boromir's instead speaking grimly, preparing himself for death and preparing the companions for death. And that makes Maureen exactly so. Lead on is simply facing it bravely, facing his fear, and doing so publicly, both confessing his fear and doubts and uncertainties, and then overcoming them and ending with lead on. Lead on to death. I'm ready. Let's go. Um, he's modeling it publicly on purpose, right? This is a, this is not, this would not then be undermining the leadership of Gandalf, um, but instead would be providing inspiration and leadership of his own to the others. And I think especially, especially the Hobbit, um, Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Cron uh, 121 is pointing to the sort of parallels here. Um, it is well that I did so, for now we have several miles less to cross, and haste is needed. Let us go. Um, the let us go and the lead on, right? Um, I think that's I think that that's that that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Bjorning, I think you're exactly right. Um, that behavior that we were just describing by Boromir would be very much the medieval aristocrat elite warrior caste behavior. It totally is. Absolutely is. And I would also add um, captain general behavior, right? That is a good way to inspire soldiers, right? To both to acknowledge the fear um to confess that you share it, to speak openly of the likelihood, probability even, of death, right? And then show your own resolution and preparedness to face it while encouraging your, you know, uh, your subordinates, encouraging your companions also to prepare themselves to face it just as well. Yeah, yeah. Um Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. In the end, I think that that's, um, um, I think that that's, that's the more satisfying reading, I think, of the two. And isn't this interesting? Have we yet really found Boromir guilty of snark ever? Because I don't think we have. There are a bunch of Boromir's statements that I have always heard as snarky in my head. Um, and I think every single one of them has turned out upon um, inspection to not be exactly Aranas, as you say, not inescapably snarky. Um, it's not to say that, you know, di different people could have different readings. And if you wanted to maintain the snark reading. I think that the snark reading is available here. Um, I think it's available, but at, at the end, I do find it less compelling. 
and certainly less consistent with Boromir as we have as we have seen him. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Matt, I agree. The closest he's gotten was self-directed snark when he talked about lesser men with spades. Yes, he did. Lesser men with spades. He made. It's not quite movie Gimli, Gimli clowning, but that that that's a joke at his his own expense, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, yes, and and Tujus man, that is absolutely correct. That our interpretation of Boromir tends to be tainted by our knowledge of his eventual fate. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's one of the things I've been most keen to resist as we've gone through with Boromir. Instead, thinking of who he is, right? Of this character that's being presented, you know, that has been shown to us here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let us stop there. Field trip time. It's getting late, but I started late. So, um, let's, um, uh, let's, uh, let's do the field trip. I am, uh, Still lie, I gotta log back in here, Valari. All right. Are we getting your audio here, Valari? I'm not sure I'm hearing you. Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't, I there didn't we go. have okay. anything to say yet. Um, cool. All right, no worries. Just want to make sure I'm, uh, oh, no, hang on, I'm doing the wrong thing here. Okay, hang on, I gotta get myself <laughs> back in my, uh, my windows needed to reboot. I think everybody's been there. Okay. Mm -hmm. But since I always have to restart Lotro anyway at this time, I might as well. All right, so I'm coming back in. <laughs> All right. I'm just waiting up. So uh, did, did you have like a particular uh, clown archetype for Gimli? Oh, movie, movie Gimli? N yeah, yeah. Well, no, not exactly. Um, uh, I mean, as I said, I was I was kind of thinking in vaguely uh, sort of Shakespearean ways. Again, the, the point is simply it's a the archetype in general, I mean, is simply that like it is it is a comedic person who is always directing who is always inciting laughter and directing the laughter at themselves like inviting you to laugh at them huh oh yeah yeah i suppose so yeah oh no i was just wondering because the minute you brought up the fact that he was a traditional theater clown i immediately thought of braggadocio yeah i i'm i'm uh, i'm not sure i'm not sure i, I i'm hundred percent convinced of any particular like Shakespearean parallel precisely. Uh, I can't, I mean, there's well, some, there's some, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. There's some clowns um, that Gimli is very definitely unlike such as uh, yeah. like Lear's fool, for instance. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And it's, I mean, maybe actually the Shakespearean parallel isn't a good one because Clowns, they do, 
they do draw laughter at themselves. But of course, Shakespeare's clowns usually are just like absolutely uh, skewering everybody else most of the time. Uh, it depends. I mean, like, you know, Stefano and Trinculo were definitely a bit of both. But um, yeah. Uh, it's, the the thing is, it's it's you see more the importance of clowns when your entertainment is confined to about two or three hours. So. Right, right. It's uh, definitely important. But you know, hey, anybody listening out there, that's a good paper to write about the Comedia de, de Alta uh, tropes and the Shakespearean tropes and yeah, how how you would adapt a work like Lord of the Rings by using those archetypes. Yeah. Because they can't all be grim and gray and black-haired with blue eyes and not talk. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Hamlet's great grave digger is an interesting is an interesting choice, Nancy. Here's a skull, good starter skull. Yeah. Um, much ado is constable is pretty good, Nancy. Except, um, oh yeah, we can head down <laughs> to where are we going, uh, Clager. The thing I would say about oh. that though is that I don't think that much ado is constable is aware. Of yeah, like, the, that, that he's ridiculous. Yeah. He takes himself yeah, seriously. The, he takes himself seriously, but all the malapropisms and stuff mm -hmm. to, uh, mm -hmm. indicate that he is not, he is completely unironically. How about the how about the um, the comic troop in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream? That's closer. Oh yeah, he's definitely got a Nick Bottom. Let me be the lion too, kind of thing, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a sense. There we go. There's a sense, of course, in which uh, Bottom takes himself very seriously, but but also not. Um, and the overly and overly cautious Quince could be like last him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice last week that all the hobbits around here are wearing boots. Uh, someone pointed it out. I think it might have been in chat, though. Yeah, I might have missed it, but yeah, I didn't notice that. Put the housing decoration of store booths in the game. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's from uh, uh, Enidwife, was it? Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. Of course, uh, I think I can guess. Um, this is me uh, momentarily trying to guess my way into Chris Pearson's head as to why. <laughs> They would have chosen to boot the hobbits here, um, well, it's in this different sense of boot, and that would be because their stores living by the river were told that boots are more commonly worn in the Marish, where the ground is wet, right? Yeah. Um, uh, it's one good. thing to have tough soles of your feet, and therefore, you know, be able to. Uh, walk around without shoes um, that doesn't mean that you're going to enjoy or you know not get various unpleasant foot conditions if you're constantly in mud and wet in bare feet all the time mm -hmm. um, which would also keep them from getting tough if they were constantly soaking yeah yeah exactly so anyway um, so we've got a correlation in the text, therefore, with um, the hobbits that live closest to the river and seem to have a strong strain of store in them, in the Brandy Bucks and the people of the Marish. 
And so mm-hmm. when we come to a Hobbit village that is like pure store um, along uh, along a river, we see them all booted. That's my that's my suspicion. Um, oh yeah. But um, okay, so where are we? We're in Claygore, right? That's where we are. So mm-hmm. let's head up to the next village because we were exploring okay. here last time. And we're going to go not the way that I'm in fact facing, right? Am I facing the correct way? No, I'm not. I'm mm-hmm. facing 100% the wrong way. So, what's da- so what is down this way then? Uh, a bridge. And woods. Wait a second. What's up that path? Houses, I think. Oh, that path. Oh, it's oh, this is the path where we went up to get to the tower. Okay. Uh, I see. Oh yeah, to get I'm to the sorry. watchtower. Yeah. All right, I got turned around. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Now I, I see where we are. Oh, I'm stuck in the stable. That's not good. Okay. There we go. All right. So this away, we head out to go towards the other villages, over the quaint bridges. Which look kind of like the stone bridges we see in the Shire. Mm-hmm. Like up towards Needle Hole and such. Yep. Definitely not a dwarf bridge or an elf bridge. Yeah, I was just thinking of that. I don't see anything carved at all on the bridge. Nope. Like we were seeing on the dwarf bridges mm-hmm. or even the bridges that seem to... I almost Rivendelled that bridge. Um, uh, sensible Hobbit bridge. It's functional. Nothing yeah. fancy. It's probably called the other bridge. Yeah, but it's it's also not just rough or plain though. It's it's not decorated, but it's uh, and you couldn't call it fancy, but it has you know like the it's nicely finished. You know, it's not a goblin bridge. No, it, and it's certainly not, not a goblin bridge, but even like um, there's there's the pride in a job well done. In it. Yeah, it's it, stones are well laid and okay, all right. So where does this road go? This road goes down this way. Okay, so now we're following the river up, right? Oh, we already passed a parting of the ways, which I didn't even see, but that's okay. All right, so, okay, that's just a new little modern tower, and that ruin that we see up there at 11 o'clock, that is, what is that? Ooh, no, that's not a, I was thinking maybe we were seeing across the Guathlo back into uh, Cardolan, but we're not. We're seeing into oh. that central land up there, okay. That is a, a yet undiscovered trees. ruin we're seeing up there. Yeah. Ooh, willow trees. Yes. Okay, hang on. I'm just going to... I'm just coming up here a second. Just Definitely getting the lay of the land A little more oh. sacred holly up here. Uh-huh. Okay, so we've got more bridge. Not not bridge. Another waterfall, more river. I mean, to say, I look, there's a bridge, a bridge over there. Where are we looking? Okay. 
Right, okay, so that's the bridge. The uh, the road to Gondor itself is crossing over that bridge. Interesting. Okay, so that would suggest, as even from here, those look more like human ruins than elf ruins. So, oh, yeah. um, I'm going to guess that that's something Gondorian. Possibly, possibly Cardo engine. I mean, we've seen, already seen one Cardo and ruin further down over there by what is it, Mossward? Um, mm -hmm. That big one with the cool white tree in the middle of the courtyard. Um, okay, all right. So we'll we'll see what we see over there. I'm not seeing anything else yet. Seeing some echoes of Tarnbad there, as well mm -hmm. with some of the shapes. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. A lot of foliage. These bridges look old. Oh, yeah. I'm wondering, are we sure they were built by hobbits? Maybe they weren't. Maybe. Let's see. It didn't exactly match the architecture of the hobbit holes, but... It doesn't look like Arnor either, though. No, it doesn't. Not quite. All right, I think we need to take a right here. Oh yeah, look, here's another village. I don't know, maybe with their dislike of water, maybe they were, you know, maybe there was some culture that gave them, maybe the, the Arnorians gave them a hand with. Yeah, maybe, I mean, so if you look at the laid stone work here, like at the base of these columns, oh, it yeah. doesn't really look the same as the like, notice how it's sort of rougher? Like, they're they're not clean cut with sharp corners? They're not quarried, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, they might be, like, broken or cut to some extent, but they're not they're not squared off in the oh, way that everything was squared. If stone was quarried somewhere else and sent over. Yeah. I don't know. With, like, by dwarves, maybe? The dwarves quarried maybe. the stone and... Right, and the rest of it's them? brick. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, with plaster on top. Right. Okay, I saw this is just a little... Uh, it's a shack. little shack down here. Ponta... So this is just, the, this is, this is just the path bar. to the mill. It's a dead end otherwise, yeah? Yeah, yeah. You think if the, being the mill, it'd have a bigger path. Right. Maybe they don't make a lot of bread around here. Well, I mean, if they've got a dedicated path and the only thing down here is the mill, I guess that already tells you something. Yeah, I guess. But I guess, all right, we go up in the town. It's probably they're wearing the, a path to his door. They're not feeding the path to his door. Right, up around to the right. That's what I was expecting it to be. So it'll be just uphill from the mill. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's almost vertical here. Yeah. Hmm. Huh really good for your calves yeah I'm sure horses are very appreciative okay so oh no there is this is a path I thought this was just like an a scenic overlook but no this is actually a road oh yeah that's a heck of a road yeah we're headed straight back down to the Gondor road here if it was any steeper I'd need pitons <laughs> it is a pretty steep road just goes, just shoots straight down like a like a toboggan run down this hill. Oh yeah, you could just see someone trying to walk down this, and their their uh, their legs trying to get ahead of their head. Yeah, 
absolutely. What's the phrase for that? Arse over tea kettle. That's. The and there again is that ruin looking straight at us. Boy, that thing has a view of everywhere around here. Yeah. Big old anger watt looking thing up there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's head into town. Maybe there's a. Maybe there's a new milestone. We can, okay, wait. So I gotta go straight into town, not up the hill, because that'll miss town. All right. Jeez, it's like my driveway. Okay, we've got our stable master at least. Hello there. Glenn Hellig. Okay. There is a milestone over here. Oh, yeah, there is. Look at that. Okay. So, I am all right. I'm puzzled. Huh? Are you puzzled? What are you well, puzzled about? This Tristan? tower, it's it's horn is pointing at the wall. Whose horn? The it looks like a horn, oh. like a megaphone at the top of the tower. It's uh -huh. aimed directly at the cliff face. Well, maybe it's it maybe it's angled so it'll bounce off correctly. Like <laughs> it's like a French horn. Right. <laughs> um, that is a little strange. Maybe if we go up the hill, we'll figure out what it's pointing at. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. We'll come back to this question when we get a better look at the way out of this town, which is already looking pretty peculiar. Mm -hmm. It's pretty staggered, so. Yeah. Okay, so here are the things. So it's it's late. I know we started late tonight, but I, I, wanna, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to start a thorough expl exploration because it's already late. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll do a thorough explanation exploration maybe explanation as well of town next time. But I, well, let me just say what I'm looking for, or what I'm yeah. curious about about this town. What mm -hmm. I'm curious about is thinking especially about those bridges. Will we see any evidence that there was anything pre hobbits over here? Hmm. Were there any humans over here at any time? Do we see evidence of their construction? I want to look. I'm going to be interested to look, for instance, at that bridge up there that cro that we were seeing from a distance there that crossed the road mm -hmm. where, that that the Gondor Road was crossing on. And I want to see if that bridge looks the same or different from the bridges we were just crossing over. Um. So. Because if it's similar, it suggests that the humans were around here too. I, I don't want to see if I want to see if we can see any evidence of that. So I'm sure. going to be interested in any evidence of old human settlements or ruins that the hobbits have kind of settled in among, and um, and then of course I, I want to be looking at the individual curiosities of this particular hobbit village as well, with oh, these yeah, interesting is... wooden paths and such. Um, yeah. So okay. So we will. We will. We and then we will return to the mystery of Druid's Fire's horn here, and see if we can mm -hmm. figure out why they set the horn not to face outward but to face inward. Um, okay. Very good. 
Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We shall resume from uh, from Glen Helig here uh, next time. Uh, so do pick up the milestone there before you leave. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Good night now. Okay. Don't forget about the drawing. Um, I posted yep. the... Uh, I posted the uh, the link. I can I can post it again. It'll be posted on the description, as I said. But there's the link to the form if you didn't fill it out yet. Uh, just you can enter there, and we'll do our drawing, and we'll do it next week. Awesome! Thanks everybody so much. Talk to you guys later. Bye now. Bye.